Hey y'all, it's Elizabeth Sharkey here with episode 6 of the podcast, It Started with the Zoo, Animal Ethics for the Average Person. This episode is entitled, The Truth About Experimentation. If you remember from last week, I mentioned I wanted to break down PETA's stances and speciesism on a few topics more in depth. This episode on experimentation is the next installment of that. I have seen, and I'm sure you have all seen, gruesome images of animals in labs that are being tested on. The images are scary to see, but in order to make judgments about experimentation, we need to look at the actual laws and laboratory practices used today. If we formed opinions based on a few images, we can't say we've seen the entire picture. You and I are gonna look closely at PETA's stance on animal experimentation, speciesism in labs, and why some of PETA's claims about animal testing aren't entirely true. Let's get into it. Is it ethical to test on animals for the benefit of humans? That is the huge question. And let me clarify when I say animals, I'm talking about non-human animals. Whether or not we find it ethical, we can agree that animal testing has played a massive role in medicine for centuries. One of the oldest, if not the oldest instance of animal testing took place in 12th century Moorish Spain with Ibn Zuer. Zuer was an Arab physician who tested surgical procedures on animals before doing them on his human patients. Most notably, he carried out a tracheotomy on a goat. A tracheotomy consists of cutting open the neck and opening the airway in the neck, as opposed to an airway through the mouth, where we normally breathe from. At the time, this was extremely controversial, but in modern medicine, this procedure is considered fairly common and simple. From the earliest instance of animal testing to more modern day leaps in medicine, we can see the impacts that animals have. For example, diabetes. 422 million people worldwide are living with diabetes. 34.2 million Americans or more than one in 10 have diabetes, with 88 million Americans, or one in three, that have prediabetes. Back in 1893, dogs were used to research the pancreas and eventual isolation of insulin. This led to successful human insulin injections in 1922. In 2016, three of the 25 most prescribed drugs were for diabetes, and all three of those drugs were tested on animals. There's continued stem cell research for diabetes with mice and rats. Scientists are experimenting with injecting mice pancreas cells into rat embryos, and they're finding that when the cells are transferred, diabetes can be reversed. Non-human primates are also used with researchers working on developing an insulin shot that could last over a month instead of weekly or daily shots required for patients with type 2 diabetes. If we look at mental health, 
Animals have also played a huge role in our growing toolbox to help those in need. One of the most prescribed antipsychotic drugs is called Abilify. Abilify treats schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, Tourette syndrome. It can even help those with autism. Abilify was tested on rats, dogs, monkeys, and rabbits to ensure its safety in managing symptoms of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. When prescribing a drug to someone who struggles with mental health, it's probably the most important thing to make sure you are not going to make things unbearably worse. There is so much science behind the way our brains work, our hormones work, our external lives work and contributing to symptoms and mental health struggles. So a huge amount of testing is needed for these drugs. They are as important as other drugs to make sure they are as safe as possible before we start human trials and give them to actual patients. We can look at HIV, polio, leukemia, malaria, smallpox, stem cell treatments, surgery, Alzheimer's, I could go on forever. Advancement and treatment of all of these things have been made through animal testing. Most recently, and probably well known, is the COVID vaccine. In December of 2020, the first vaccine was administered in the U.S. The COVID vaccines are now being given all over the U.S. But in the beginning, and even now, there was a lot of misinformation going around about the vaccines including the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccine. Back in November of 2020, there were claims going around that Pfizer and Moderna had skipped animal testing in their vaccine research in order to get the vaccine out faster. PETA was even making claims about this, saying that since Pfizer and Moderna skipped animal testing, it proves that we don't need animal testing at all. This was false. Both Pfizer and Moderna used animal testing to find that through mice, ferrets, and primates, the vaccine was safe and would most likely be effective. It's important to note that due to the urgency of the vaccine, trial phases were allowed to be done somewhat simultaneously with overlap instead of doing them sequentially. Production even begun early so that when it was confirmed that the vaccines would work and be effective through animal and human trials, it could be shared with the world. That's how vaccines were rolled out so quickly. Animal testing was not skipped. While the mRNA type vaccine is a relatively new technology, it was developed over 20 years ago at the University of Pennsylvania using mice, which is pretty cool. It was then licensed to vaccine developers in 2020, and here we are. Many people have already been vaccinated, and many others are waiting for their turn. I could go on forever about the huge role animal testing has played in the medical field. In fact, over 70% of Nobel Prizes in medicine have involved the use of animals. But just because something is prevalent doesn't mean it's ethical. So what are the laws that regulate animal testing? The laws in every country are different. For example, the European Union has a ban on cosmetic animal testing, while in the US, it's perfectly legal. Things are going to differ, but we're going to look primarily at United States law when it comes to animal testing. The AWA 
or Animal Welfare Act, is part of the Blue Book, which we talked about and looked at in our first couple episodes about the AZA and AZA versus USDA. The Animal Welfare Act addresses the standards of care when it comes to animal testing. It outlines certain standards of housing for dogs, cats, primates, rabbits, hamsters, and guinea pigs when it comes to animal dealers and laboratories. But the problem is it excludes 95% of the animals used for testing today. This means animals like rats, mice, fish, and reptiles are not included or protected in these standards. However, if you receive federal funding in your lab, there has to be an IACUC, which stands for Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. This committee includes personnel like a veterinarian who is familiar with the species being used and can judge risks to the animal and a scientist from the field who can judge if your project would contribute anything of value to the community. Before you do anything involving the animals, researchers must submit a detailed experiment proposal to the IACUC. Proposals outline things like what methods will be used, who's involved, and what animals you intend to use. The IACUC then determines if the study would be justified. A set of principles used to judge the ethics of studies is called the three R's. Replace, reduce, and relief slash refinement. Replace means, are animals necessary for this project? Are alternatives like computer simulations or tissue samples enough? Is there an alternative non-vertebrate who can be used? Reduce means using as few animals as needed. If you've taken statistics, you know your sample size needs to be statistically significant. Let's say you're conducting a study and you want to use ferrets. Two ferrets wouldn't be enough to make scientific conclusions, but a thousand ferrets would be wasteful. Lastly, relief slash refinement. The suffering of animals must be considered and minimized. For example, if you wanna place malignant cells in a brain, the mouse you use should be under anesthesia and given painkillers after the surgery and after malignant cells have been placed. While the AWA can be nonspecific and a little disappointing, there is the IACUC in place to make sure that federally funded projects are being conducted in an ethical way. There are also state-specific laws when it comes to animal testing and institutional laws that govern the kind of work that can take place. So those standards and protocols are on top of the AWA and the IACUC for federally funded projects. In the past couple of minutes, we've learned a lot about the history of animal testing and the laws regarding animal testing. I wanna move on now with our background knowledge into PETA's argument against animal experimentation. Let's refresh ourselves from previous episodes where we talked about what PETA specifically thinks about animal experimentation. I'm gonna read an excerpt from their website. Quote, 
More than 100 million animals suffer and die in the U.S. every year in cruel chemical, drug, food, and cosmetics tests, as well as in medical training exercises and curiosity-driven medical experiments at universities. Examples of animal tests include forcing mice and rats to inhale toxic fumes, force-feeding dogs pesticides, and applying corrosive chemicals into rabbits' sensitive eyes. Even if a product harms animals, it can still be marketed to consumers. Conversely, just because a product was shown to be safe in animals does not guarantee that it will be safe for use in humans. PETA is very obviously against animal testing. I want to first address some claims that PETA make about animal testing to clear up any confusion. The first claim PETA makes is that animal testing is no longer relevant or necessary due to the fact that we have computer simulations and we can grow and isolate cells to test on instead of entire animals. My response to that would be, computer simulations can only simulate what we already know. If we knew and had 100% accurate computer simulations, not only would we not need animal testing, but we wouldn't even need human testing. We could just shovel prescriptions out the door. Now the FDA currently requires that all prescriptions go through animal testing. And from animal testing, we then move into human trials. The same goes for isolated cells and tissue samples. A lot of times, toxicity or horrible side effects of a drug is not in the place you would think it was. That's the surprise aspect. That's why we test. While a drug might help your liver and not have any bad side effects for your liver, it could hurt your heart or any other combination of organs or tissues in our bodies. This is why isolated cells and tissue samples just don't cut it for all kinds of experimentation, and neither does computer simulations. While in some instances, these two options are great ideas and great tools for us to use, I'm not convinced that they're gonna apply and be able to replace every single animal experimentation that's going on in the US. PETA's next claim is that animal testing is wasting taxpayer dollars. They say, quote, the National Institutes of Health's budget for fiscal year 2020 will be $39.3 billion, which means that the agency will waste approximately $18 billion in taxpayer money on cruel and useless experiments on animals. I never trust anyone that just makes completely blanket statements, and you have to watch out for this with anyone who's ever trying to convince you of something. A very obvious PETA tactic is that they list what a study might do and what the animals are involved in, but not what the study is about. So, for example, they might list the brutal things, honestly, brutal things that the animals have to go through, their procedures, and then they leave out what the study is even studying, what the study is trying to accomplish. Well, 
when you tell me all these terrible things that are happening to animals, and then you don't tell me the reason, of course I'm going to think, oh, that's terrible, that's useless. But that's not always true. If we are addressing the claims about the $18 billion wasted on useless experimentation, that's just false. Anyone from the world of research, or that has been around the world of research, knows how things work. There is a huge emphasis on results. If you work in a lab that does research and you are consistently not getting results, you will stop receiving funding. This means that when you apply for grants and other funding, you have to be pretty confident in your work and think you're onto something, or you'll be punished in the future in the form of losing funding. Funding and research is always the issue. Second of all, if animal testing was really useless and we could just simulate everything on computers, then why would the NIH still use animals? If it was as simple as running a computer simulation, do you really think the NIH wouldn't do that? You think they would gladly throw away $18 billion? That doesn't make sense. If animal testing has no value, we would have moved on because the rewards are none and the financial costs are astronomical. Moving on to claim three that PETA makes. PETA says tests on animals provide no information on how drugs will work in humans. PETA likes to use an NIH statistic that cites 95% of drugs that pass animal testing fail in humans because they don't work or they are dangerous. PETA says this is evidence that testing on animals shows us nothing about what works in humans. Other animals compared to humans are of course different. Our hormones are different. Our DNA is different. We metabolize differently. We are not the same size as a rat or a mouse, so dosage can be a problem. But 95% of these drugs that pass animal testing fail in human trials. I don't think that's a bad statistic. And when I say bad statistic, I mean, I don't think it hurts the claim that animal testing is necessary. Hear me out. Scientists, let's say, have thought of a new drug treatment for a disease or illness. They've studied it using their knowledge of how the human body works. They've spent a huge amount of time putting together a proposal to get funding and pass an IACUC. And it was deemed by scientists in that field that this was a promising study and allowed them to move forward. Using the knowledge we currently know about the human body, we gave it to animals, and it was okay to be put in humans. 95% of those fail. That's horrifying. And I think it shows how little we know about the human body. If we wrote out the facts known about the human body, it would be long, of course. But when it comes to being creative and thinking of new treatments and innovative drugs, we know so little. Sure, 95% of them fail in the human testing phase, but how many fail in the animal testing phase? If we really know that little, that 95% of them fail, 
I want to know how many fail in the animal testing phase. Because the animal testing phase is the only buffer between a drug and a human trial. Our current knowledge isn't as helpful as we'd like to think. Now, if PETA was making the argument that, hey guys, we need to take a step back and really look at pharmaceutical companies and question if they know as much as they're putting on and if their processes are actually scientific enough, then that would be one thing. And I think that argument actually has some merit. But for PETA to say that, no, actually we can determine accurately the effects of drugs through computer simulations and tissue samples, I think that's dangerous. A drug would only go through an animal trial and put into a human trial if scientists actually thought it would help. The fact that 95% of those fail show how little we know. And I think that makes animal testing very important. Now, beyond PETA's argument that animal testing is not needed, it's a waste of money, and it's not even helpful, I want to talk about what PETA's solution would be. How would the world of medicine be any more ethical if animal testing was stopped? What would happen is the animal testing phase would be removed, and we would now screen drugs only by using computer simulations or cell samples before bringing them straight into human testing. Now, human testing is already a thing. No matter how many animals are tested, there is always human number one who is the first to go. I grew up near the NIH Clinical Center, and I know people that have been part of human tests, and I even have friends who took part in the COVID vaccine trials. But let's take things a step further. We now eliminate animal testing, and already potentially risky endeavor, being a human test subject, has now become even more dangerous. Things ruled toxic by our animal studies would now be given to humans for testing. If you look at certain anecdotal stories about human trials gone wrong, you'll find a lot of people who sadly passed away in these trials were actually really young. We have to ask ourselves who would sign up for human trials. Well, with COVID, people wanted the vaccine early. Okay, fine, it's a pandemic. But what about not urgent pandemic drugs? What about drugs that won't actually benefit the people we're testing on? The only benefit those people get are compensation. If we take out the animal testing segment, clinical trials will become a lot more dangerous and unpredictable. While 95% of them fail in the human trial phase, not all of these are for deadly reasons. They may fail or not work or have unintended side effects. Animal testing provides a screen for horribly toxic and dangerous situations that can't be predicted. Who are these people that are going to step forward and take part in horribly dangerous human trials? I worry these people will be those who maybe are homeless, maybe are poor, maybe who come from bad situations. These are the people who might not have any other choice between not doing a study and getting high compensation to be in a dangerous study. Why would someone who's well off and healthy participate in a potentially deadly study? They wouldn't. 
So automatically, if these studies are more dangerous than before, the only people who will be left to take part in them are people who have no other choice. Which means, while they may be giving their consent to be in the trial, it's not like they had another option. How is that ethically better? How is this an ethical improvement from animal studies? Eliminating speciesism from our medical world would mean the end of animal testing forever, because animals cannot give consent. I am not here to say that I am thrilled animal testing is a thing. PETA circulates a lot of media regarding animal testing, and it's heartbreaking. I see monkeys in cages, and I see cats, and I truthfully have never owned a pet or had a pet. But I think back to my time working at a zoo, and I think back to some of my favorite animals. And if they were in an animal trial, I would feel huge grief. I would be heartbroken. I don't want any animals to suffer ever. But I then have to ask myself, okay, Elizabeth, would you, a perfectly healthy young woman, risk your life on a clinical trial and be the first organism ever to try it? I'd like to think the answer would be at least a maybe, but I selfishly can't say yes. Now, if I was a parent and my daughter was in the hospital with, let's say, a condition, and a doctor came to me and said, we have these two new drugs, never tested in humans before, but we think it could help your little girl. Let's say these two drugs, one was tested with computer simulation and mice and had no side effects, and the other was just tested on a computer simulation. Can I tell you I would give my child an untested drug? Of course not. I would test hundreds of mice before I gave my child a new drug. It's at that moment of putting myself in those shoes that I can't say all animal testing should be banned. If I'm going to deny a layer of safety between a drug and someone's child or brother or mother, then I have to be willing to do the same, and I'm not. Ingrid Newkirk, the co-founder and president of PETA, has famously stated that, quote, if my father had a heart attack, it would give me no solace at all to know his treatment was first tried on a dog, end quote. I applaud Newkirk for keeping solid stances on these issues, but I can't see myself or a lot of other people for that matter, willing to risk the health of a family member without first exhausting all measures to make sure I was safe. In conclusion, I do not love animal testing. I get no joy from knowing that we infect animals with diseases or we scare them to study emotions. But the fact is, I think it's necessary in some instances. I want animal testing to be a thing of the past, but the fact of the matter is we are not there yet. While PETA may claim our computers and isolated tissue samples are enough to accurately predict the effects of drugs, we're not there yet. I wouldn't risk the health of any of my loved ones on that fact. As our knowledge of drugs and the human body grow, I want to continue to phase out certain areas of animal testing, which has been happening steadily. But we can't prioritize that phasing over safety. If the ethics of animal testing bother you, then I think the ethics of a world without animal testing 
should equally make you recoil. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Animal experimentation is definitely a tricky and tough topic to talk about. I want animal testing to end, but only when it's safe to do so. Next week, I want to keep this train moving with a closer look at PETA's stances and speciesism. Our next episode is going to be about companion animals. Yes, your pets. How does PETA really feel about Fido? The answer might surprise you. I'd hold on tight to Fido if I were you. Like always, please subscribe to my podcast on Spotify and rate it on Apple Podcasts. Episodes are released every Monday. If you have any questions or topics you want me to discuss, send an email over to averageanimalethics at gmail.com. That's averageanimalethics at gmail.com. And ethics is plural, so there's an S at the end of that. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.